Okay. So, Java worksheet. Okay. Uh, introductory information. Let's get this out of the way. Uh, title. All right, the title is Judges. Uh, we, the reason we put that, it's not like we think you're stupid and stuff, but there's like information we want you to know about the title. This is, uh, Judges is the title, uh, both in the Hebrew and the, the Greek Septuagint. Uh, but the Hebrew word, and this is, this is a little helpful when you, because the name Judges and is kind of confusing for us. Uh, but it can also mean deliverers or saviors. So that, that, that's helpful then when we think about when, when these men and, and women are called judges, because uh, we like to think of the gavel, Judge Judy, that type of person. Uh, but that, that's not what it's talking about here. Uh, so that's the title. Uh, the, the author, um, this, this one's a little different than the other, one, the other uh, studies we've done so far, because uh, the author is, is unknown. Uh, traditionally, we attribute the authorship to Samuel, and it makes a lot of sense that it would be Samuel. Um, he's kind of uh, recognized uh, as, as the last judge. So we get into, when you get into 1 Samuel, you actually have two more that are kind of considered judges, Eli and Samuel. Samuel's considered the last judge. Uh, it makes sense from the time clues given in the book that it was around the time uh, when Samuel was alive that the book was written. Uh, so, so Samuel's a good bet, but if we get to heaven and it's not Samuel, that doesn't, that doesn't destroy our faith or <laughs> our, uh, our view of God, all right? Uh, the date, um, the events in this book take place during roughly a 300, 330, 50-year span between 1374 B.C. Uh, and 1055 B.C., um, so it gives you a little bit of background before the death of Joshua was 1390 B.C., uh, but this gives a little more information of some stuff that happened before uh, that happened. And then the death of Samson was about 1055 B.C., and so we frame it, we date it in there, and then there's uh, some, some issues with the, with the years and stuff, and we'll talk about that later in the interpretive challenges section. Um, but uh, that's the title, that's the author, that's the date. The purpose of the book of Judges is, ready? Okay, I'm only gonna say this four times. <laughs> to demonstrate the need for a monarchy in Israel and show God's loving, sustaining power in Israel despite their sinful actions <laughs> while in Canaan. To demonstrate the need for a monarchy in Israel and show God's loving, sustaining power in Israel despite their sinful actions while in Canaan. To demonstrate the need for a monarchy in Israel and show God's loving, sustaining power in Israel despite their sinful actions while in Canaan. Has everyone got it? Do I need no. to go to that fourth time? To demonstrate the need for a monarchy in Israel and show God's loving, sustaining power in Israel despite their sinful actions while in Canaan. Oh, right. saw something. So that's the purpose. Everything kind of relates to that and points to that. And you probably saw something like that if, if you read through this uh, this week. Um, the main theme, the main overall theme of the book, the principal theme of Judges is, ready? 
Disobedience. <laughs> Could you repeat that? Disobedience. Uh, and you might want to uh, write a disobedience that costs Israel her covenant blessings. You can write that too. A disobedience that costs Israel her covenant blessings. Okay, so what uh, kind of, before we get into the outline, a uh, little bit of uh, remembering where we are. What, what do we know about? So we've gone through the Pentateuch. We've gone through the book of Joshua. Uh, what do we kind of understand about Israel right now as, as the, the history of their nation? What, do we, what are some things we know about them? The first early leaders have just died. What? Moses and Joshua, the first leaders yeah. that have just died. Moses and Joshua have just died. What else do we know about them? They're a stiff-necked people. They're stiff-necked people. Yeah, that doesn't change in here, does it? Uh, Stiff-necked people, what else do we know about them? They've entered the promised land. That's a big deal. That's been the where the where, where we've been heading to, right? Since the the first promise way back to to Abraham, um, and then the promise to uh, to to Moses, to the people of Israel, bring them out of Egypt, take them to the promised land. That's that's where they're headed, uh, and and now they are there, kind of. They're kind of there. The promise is kind of fulfilled, but not not. Not, they're not completely in the promised land yet, right? What else do we know about them? What's, their, what's the purpose for Israel? Well, part of it is to purge the promised land or Canaan of the sinful people. Okay. That's their, yeah, that's their, their job well, is to do that. That's why they're going in. One of the reasons they're going in there is to wipe out the Canaanites to be God's instrument of judgment on them for their sin. Uh, what, why does Israel exist as a nation? What, what are some of the reasons that God has given for that? The main reason. They're to demonstrate God's holiness. Yeah. And bring Him glory. They're to be the holy, set-apart people of God. Different from all of the nations on the earth. They're supposed to be the people that other nations can look to and see. This is what a people of God looks like. This is what the people of the one true God look like. That's what they're supposed to be, right? You guys following that? All right, so so that's kind of what we know about Israel. They're supposed to be a holy nation. They're on their way to the promised land, or they're supposed to be in the promised land. And, and up to this point, uh, we, we've kind of seen that a little bit taking place. Um, and, and we know, and we leave off in Joshua with Joshua kind of giving them a charge to, to follow the law. To, a couple of things he says to, to follow the law, follow God's uh, commands, keep his covenant, and, and, and his blessings will follow. And, and also the other command to continue to wipe out the Canaanites, to continue to drive the Canaanites out of the promised land. Why was God so concerned? This is important to know. Why, why is God so concerned with, his, with the Canaanites being out of the land when the Israelites are there? So they won't be corrupted by their idol worship. Yeah. Yeah, because he knows they'll be corrupted by their idol worship. They're going to be corrupted by the pagan practices, the pagan religions, if they hang around those Canaanites too long. He's and, He's jealous. Yeah, he's jealous for his people. So there's, so there's the two. The thing that Chuck brought up earlier, punishment uh, for the Canaanites for their sin, but also, if they remain, the, 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 he knows that they're going to intermarry with them and start to follow their, religion, their, their pagan religions. And that's, 
That's just an issue with Israel all throughout the Old Testament. All right, so they're to be completely faithful to the covenant. That's what Joshua is telling them to do. And the book of Judges is all about how they completely and utterly fail at this over and over again. Instead of becoming holy, they become just like the Canaanites. They become just like the Canaanites. So you, have, uh, you should have a little outline in front of you. Um, it's a fairly simple outline. Um, uh, chapters 1 through 3, the first part of the book, um, is, is about, essentially, it starts out good. The first part of chapter 1 starts out good. Like, all right, here we go. They're taking Joshua's charge. They're driving out Canaanites. That was, that's what they're doing. But that only lasts half a chapter. And then we see that they completely, uh, that, that they, they fail to take the rest of the land. We see this list of, of lands at the end of... Uh, chapter 1, they, where they failed to go. Manasseh didn't drive out the inhabitants of there. Uh, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. We just, uh, you just see that phrase over and over just to show they didn't do it. They, they failed. Um, so, so lest there be any doubt about that. So the purpose is to drive them out so that they wouldn't be corrupted by him. But this now is exactly what happens. Um, this is exactly what happens. And it, so there's a good message in Judges for us, a good uh, thing for us to remember in that th this, this is what happens when you, when you mess around with the things of the world, when you just allow those types of things to be close to you, and those are your close interactions. It causes you to, to uh, chase after what's essentially idolatry. Um, it, that's the reason that, that they're not supposed to be around these, these worldly other religions. It's because they're going to fall into it also. And that's kind of a similar thing that happens to us. The closer we, the more we associate with the world, the more like the world we become, the more we associate with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, the more uh, that produces fruits of the Spirit in us. Um, all right, so, so we see this, this first uh, three, uh, one through three. Actually, look at uh, chapter two, verses 11 through 13. It kind of sums up what's going on here. Okay. 11 through 13 of chapter two says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So we see. So, so this is what we see in the first three chapters or so, two and a half chapters. We see Israel's disobedience, and we see that in the top section or uh, chapter two, sixteen through twenty-three, is kind of just like a. Uh, overview of the whole book, uh, the, the whole book of, um, of Judges. It talks about how they keep falling into these same problems. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. 
But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. So you see this, that's kind of the, the, the pattern that's going to get set up. They got right... They get oppressed, then they whine and complain and grovel, and, then, and God have mercy on us, God have mercy on us. God has mercy on them. He raises up a deliverer, a judge, a deliverer, who comes in, brings them out of oppression. They're, they're, they're happy about that for a while, and then once the judge dies, they fall right back into the same thing. And, and this is what we see, and this is going to be one of the other themes we'll talk about in a second. So that, that's the first part of the outline. The second part is that cycle we just talked about, uh, which is all of chapters 3 through 16 of all of these judges. Um, and, and so there's, uh, you see this cycle start over six times with each, uh, there's, there's six main judges, we'll talk about those in a second, and the first three of them are, are mostly good, um, although it's, it's very violent, right, the, the Ehud and, and uh, the, the Deborah section, how, how um, Jay and the king dies. That's that's some. Yeah. I mean, if that's a headache. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what you say? He said that's a headache. That's a headache. <laughs> that's a headache. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you splitting headache. Yeah. So so it is it, it is a it is a very violent section. And in three and four, we get those. Uh, the we we have Othniel Ehud. And, um, and, and Deborah and, and kind of Barak, uh, not Brock, Barak. And, um, and, and at the end of chapter 4, we, have, we see this deliverance. And even in chapter 5, then, is this song of Deborah, which is this praise song to God over, over what he's, what he's, how he's delivered them. It's not a typical, it's not like our praise song. There's a lot of violence in the praise song. We don't, it's, a, it's probably a hip-hop song. Um, it, it, uh, but but it's, it's honoring God. They're trying to, they're honoring God for what he's doing. And so, so you see, at least in this early part, there's still a sense of God is still, the God of Israel is still being recognized rightly, um, at least during these, uh, during the, the up parts of these cycles. Um, but then we get to Gideon, and he's, uh, he's, he's uh, okay. Like they progressively get worse after Gideon. Gideon starts out as kind of a wimp that God uses anyway. Um, but by, but, you know, you read the section, by the, by the end of the section, he, 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 we see him killing a bunch of Israelites uh, just because they didn't help him out. Um, in, 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 in violent and in terrible ways. And, and he ends up, even though he has this, uh, he, he tells when they try and make him king, to his credit, remember he tells them, uh, you will not, I will not be your king, your king will be the Lord God. And, and that's good, but then he makes an ephod, and he apparently doesn't have that much influence, because he makes this ephod, and he, and, he, and he sets it up, and after he dies, the people of Israel start worshiping it. Um, and, then, and then there's the issue with this with his son Abimelech, who's not a judge, 
Uh, God didn't raise him up. He's just a, a, a more sad part of the ending of the story of Gideon. Um, and that's and more violence uh, in there. Um, anyway, uh, that leads Abimelech, and there's this like horrible try, like time where he tries to be kind of like a king, and that doesn't work. It leads to more sin. He kills his seventy brothers to, to try and keep the rulership to himself. It's all it's just all kinds of corruption and stuff. And then. Um, uh, God raises up, there's a little section with some of the, what we call minor judges, uh, but then there's the, the big section on, on Jephthah, and he's used by God to win some, some battles, but the, the focus on the story with Jephthah is, what's, what's the main focus there in that one at the end? You guys remember Jephthah? What's he do? Well, yeah, he, Jephthah's rash of vow, right? He promises... If God will give him victory, he will, he, will, uh, he will sacrifice whatever comes out of his door to greet him when he gets home, and it's his daughter. And uh, we'll talk more about that again at the end, but, but the, the, the story really kind of focuses on the fact that Jephthah is, is this guy who, who God has raised up, and he, God does use him for his purposes uh, to, to defeat uh, some of the enemies of Israel, but, but he is so uh, confused with how to worship God. You can see that the, uh, the religion of the people, there's, there's like this new syncretistic, do you guys know what that is? Mm -hmm. when, when two religions get blended together, there's this new like, syncretistic religion, and he's got the God of Israel confused with like Molech or one of the, these other pagan gods, and he doesn't know how to worship God. Uh, the God of Israel correctly, properly, worships him like he would a Canaanite God. He has, he, he, and it's just kind of a picture of the fact that Israel is forgotten, or they, they no longer know the character of their own God, and they just treat him like a, just another pagan God. Um, so, so you got that part with Jephthah, and then you have Samson. And Samson, remember, he starts out with, there's a lot of promise around him. There's this miraculous birth story, and that's usually a good sign. In, in biblical stories, like with, with Samuel coming up in a bit, and you remember Moses, how he's preserved um, uh, Isaac, um, how he, like, uh, uh, Samson is kind of a similar thing as when Isaac came about. So you, you have kind of, maybe if you're just reading this for the first time, you're maybe starting to get this, hey, maybe Samson is like going to be like a deliverer like Moses. But, that, but you quickly see that, that that's just not the case with Samson. His character is just atrocious. He's this horrible, promiscuous guy who cares nothing for, for the God who his parents committed him to. He cares nothing about his Nazarite vow uh, that he has. He, he breaks it several times uh, during, the, during the course of his, um, during the course of his, his life. Uh, and and you, you can kind of see, uh, if you look over at chapter, look at 14.3. You can see the, the way Samson thinks. says when he's when he wants a wife he, he says he says to to his dad his father and mother said to him is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among your own people that, that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines but Samson said to his father get her for me for she is right in my eyes um, so so you kind of see and, and, and you know if you hear that phrase you recognize it from 
later in the book, right? This, uh, everyone, this is a time when there is no king in Israel. Everyone does what he pleases or what's right in, their, in his eyes. So, so you kind of see that happening. You see that Samson, even as the leader uh, at this time, and probably the most well-known judge at this time, he, uh, he, he's like an embodiment of what everyone else, that, that's how people were. That's how they, they lived. Even the, their leader doesn't care about God, as you see from the way he just, you know, he just gives it up to, to, to Delilah, tells her what she, just because she's nagging him, tells, tells, her, tells her what to do. And, and in that case, he chooses her over God and uh, he does what's right in his own eyes which is kind of an ironic statement because of what happens to his own eyes later on. Um, and then the th they gouge out his eyes. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, and then the third section, uh, after, the, after you get through the cycles of the judges, uh, is, is disaster and depravity. And that's the last 17 through 21. Um, and, and you have just these two just sickening stories now you have this guy named Micah who's making idols. He brings in a priest who essentially, what, what you see in the priesthood, these are, so the priests before, Moses, Aaron, they, remember their job is to be, be the ones, go between God and man, to, to, to make up for uh, uh, atonement for, for the sins of the people. And here we see in these two stories, horrible priests. We see this one who is essentially prostituting his priesthood going to this guy for money, then going to the Danites for money. Uh, we see the Danites uh, using him and then asking him uh, questions about, hey, should we go attack these people? And, and, and uh, the priest, without consulting God, says, yeah, go do it. And so they end up killing this, this village of people. Uh, so, so we see that happening. And then we see in this, the last story uh, that there's another bad priest, and he's like, he, he has this marriage to this prostitute, which is bad in and of itself, um, but he's traveling to, and he's traveling uh, through Israel, through, through the, where the tribe of Benjamin is, and he, um, and a, a man invites him into his house, and, and they go there, and, and you see the, the people of the town who are Israelites uh, going to, I, actually, just turn there real quick. So I'm spending more time in the outline than I wanted to. But just turn there. I just want to show you this, too. Um, in 1922 through 25, uh, as they were making their hearts merry, the people of the town, behold, the men of the, or not the people of the town, the, um, the old man and, and the priest, and the people of the town, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door, and they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly, since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, behold here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him, so the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning, and as the dawn began to break, they let her go. 
And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where the master was until it was light. What does that story remind you of? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That, like, it's, it, it's so similar that it's, there, that, that it's certainly put that way on purpose to, to show us, to point out that the people of Israel have become like Sodom. They're, they're no better than them now. So, so we see this, this story, and, and this, this story ends up uh, in getting even more disgusting and violent and ending in a civil war and almost leads to the extinction of one of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. So, so we see this, th- 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 that's the outline. That's the outline I want you to see. Now I want to look at major themes, uh, some major themes. So you have kind of the understanding of what the book looks like. Major themes are, first, the judges. First, the judges. So, uh, the main judges, and remember, we talked, the main judges, there's six of them. They start out good, and they just kind of get worse and worse. Othniel, that's 3, 7 through 11. Ehud, which is 3, sorry, 3, 7 through 11. Mm-hmm. Othniel. Ehud, which is 3, 12 through 30. Uh, Deborah and Barak, maybe, if you want to include him, 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5, not verses, that's all of chapters 4 and 5, Gideon, who's chapters 6 through 9, uh, that's the whole story of Gideon with the Bimelech there at the end, uh, Jephthah, which is chapter 11 through chapter 12, verse 7, and then Samson, who's chapter 13 through 16. So those are the, the major judges. And then in there, we also have uh, minor judges like Shamgar, who gets all of a verse, but he sounds like an awesome guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, kills 600 men with an ox go at, and that's all it says about him. Uh, uh, Tola and Jair, and... Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon. Elon, Elon probably, and Abdon. And, and so they, they're, those are the minor judges. They don't have as big of a role. And then, like I said earlier, they we also usually consider Eli and Samuel as the last two judges, but they, they don't come in until 1 Samuel. Um, so, so the judges, uh, knowing them, they're, they're a main thing, they're a theme, they're a crucial theme in the book and what goes on around them you, you you have to know you have to know who they are and what's going on around them uh it's, you don't have to pronounce them right like me like i just showed you that you don't um, then the next thing is uh the, the cycle so i read already two chapter 2 16 through 23 that's kind of speaking of the cycle so the second myth first major theme is the judges second major theme is the cycles um and this is uh it's just kind of a, a summation of what happens over the next, over the, all of chapters, um, all, all of chapters uh, 3 through 16. It, it, you see this cycle. And so what you should do in your notes, I'm going to leave this microphone. This isn't going to work for them anyway. Is, is, this is helpful for me. Do you want to, so maybe on the side of your notes, make one of these things. In the middle of the hour. What's this called? 
Spiral, spiral, twisty spiral, something. All right, and then so so you can write uh, sin, and then oppression. Oh gosh, I can't write with one of these. Oppression. But spell oppression right. Um, <laughs> two P's and two S's. Um, I think there's only two S's. English major. Okay. Okay. Uh, two P's, two S's. Okay. Um, oppression, then repentance. And then deliverance. How, Chuck, how do you do this? Right sideways on something like this. It's really hurting your elbow. Yeah. And then you have this this piece that happens at the end. Um, and, and so you see this, this cycle, just sin, and then you see them that the, the sin leads to God's uh, being provoked, and he brings in a foreign nation, and they oppress them, and the people cry out and repent, and then God brings about a judge, and the judge delivers them, and then they have a time of peace, and then they get too comfortable, and it leads to sin. And then God is provoked, and it leads to oppression from a foreign country. And then they get—they want to get right with God, and and because they don't like being oppressed, and they repent. And then God hears their hears their crying and pleading with pity, and He sends a judge, and He delivers them. And then they have peace for a little while, and then they get comfortable, and they sin. You see what? That, that's what's going on. This this just happens over and over again throughout that time. Except you want this is going to be really bad. Except you might also want to draw because it's not just that. It's it's also like like it's like going down. Like yeah, like a slinky. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Um, so 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 think of that when you think of uh, of the cycles because that that's that's really important to know. And it's, it's uh, if, you, if you just read through the whole book, it gets really repetitive. And you're like, who are these stupid people? What are they doing? But you remember then that it's over a time span of 300 years. And think how, just think how quickly memories uh, go. How quickly you can forget that in your own life. And before you're too like, oh, I'm so much better than them sort of thing. Uh, like how quickly you can go from, even, even in less than a year, a time where God's delivered me from this great issue. It's, uh, this was the worst problem, and it was such a trial, and God brought us through it. And then just it can be just a few months later, and something else happens, and, and you're like, what? Uh, and you, you're depressed, and you're down. And nothing's going, and you're crying out to God again. Have you forgotten me, God? And forgetting about what he's already done for you, that sort of thing. And you see that in Judges. And, and, and Judges, blowing a little bit of, of my main point there at the end, is a representation of where we would always be were it not for Christ. Um, uh, so, so, so cycles are the second major theme. Third major theme, and I just kind of combine these two, Yahweh is provoked and Yahweh protects. He is provoked and then he protects. 
Those are that provoked and protects. That's Travis's words from his outline. I'm not good with the <clears throat> Baptist thing of making everything the same letter at the beginning. So. <laughs> provoked protects. Um, to graduate from a Baptist, they do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to be. Uh, all right. So, uh, so, so you see that in that passage we just read, chapter two, verses sixteen through twenty-three. Uh, we won't read that again because it's long but you see that that's exactly the pattern that sets up for the rest of the book you could just write down chapter three because you see it happen twice there with the first two judges you can write it down in chapter four you, you see that exact thing it's, it's more than just one verse you see it in uh gideon in chapter six through eight you see him the the people are oppressed god goes to gideon in the very beginning of chapter 10 uh, with jephthah um and then but I also wanted to point out a couple of places uh, where, where it talks about this specific thing in, in, in a couple other passages. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, uh, this, this, whole th this is being related to the people of Israel and uh, they're remembering this. Nehemiah 9, 27 and 28. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies, who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven, and according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. This is a, so, so they're reminding the people of Israel. This is way after, after the, the captivity when they were coming back. Um, reminding them of this time in Judges, uh, of, of what God did. And so what he's still doing then with his people is what the point of that verse in Nehemiah is. Um, also... Uh, turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, the whole thing is just kind of a, a remembering how God has uh, seen us through, seen the people of Israel through, uh, through their history. Uh, but you get to Psalm 106, verse 34 through 45. Psalm 106, 34 through 45 says, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood, Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. So there's provoked. And he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. 
For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So you, you see this pattern, and it's, and it's a pattern, uh, it's, a, it's a theme that, that is remembered in other places in the Bible. It's, a, it's something later in the Psalms they look back on, and they see what God did, and they praise him for it. Um, it so, so Yahweh's provoked, and Yahweh protects. That's major theme three. Major theme four is the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. All right, so so this is interesting, the way that the Spirit of the Lord works in, uh, in Judges. Because um, uh, it's not the same way that it works in us, praise God. Uh, so in chapter 3, verse 10, you see this, this happening. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave that place... <laughs> Cushan Rishathaim, I practiced this on Monday, I don't remember now, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. You can see how much I wanted you to hear that verse. I gave that up. All right. Um, but, but here's what we see. We see the spirit of the Lord. This is, this is a pattern in Judges. Coming on someone for a specific task, for a specific purpose. Coming on someone for a specific purpose, one of his purposes. We see this in several other places. Chapter 6, verse 34. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. Um, so so we, see, uh, we see it happening with Gideon, who really needed the Spirit of the Lord because he was weak. And like, like he's a weak, wimpy fine of jelly type of guy um, and he, like even the, the very first thing that he does remember he, he uh, he's supposed to go destroy that idol and he waits till the night yeah. so no one will see him yeah. um, and then he gets told on uh, and and uh, and we see that and we see how many times he needs uh, God to mess with this fleece right okay now make it wet okay now make it dry and I get it's like one it's like and God's gracious Dealing with Gideon like he de like we deal with our kids when they ask us annoying questions over and over that are the same thing essentially, and and we see God God's spirit come on Gideon and help a man like that to accomplish his purposes. Uh, chapter thirteen, verse twenty-five. The spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. All right, and so that's. Um, uh, oh crud! Yeah, so that is that. That's when Samson's first getting his start, uh, and and we see this happening to Samson more than anyone else. Fourteen six. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So, so the Spirit of God comes on him in such a way that he can tear a lion to pieces with his bare hands the same way you and I tear a young goat. That's what it implies, but like, apparently tearing a young goat is much easier than tearing a lion with your bare hands. Um, I, I'm guessing because the goat's not as ruthless and trying to fight back and... 
Um, but but he, he does, we see the Spirit of God come on Samson to kill a lion, to kill a lion. Uh, in 1419, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garment to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Now, this is interesting because why does he go down and kill 30 guys and take their clothes? Does anyone remember? Yeah. What? The riddle? He was mad at one. Yeah, I gave him a riddle. Who did he give a riddle to? His wife's family. Yeah. And they couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so she sort of tells them. Tells them. Yeah, the answer. And because so she's yeah, so she nags Samson for the answer. Samson just doesn't deal well with that nagging. And he <laughs> and he gives her the answer, and she t and she tells. Uh, the, the family and and then he says you wouldn't have known if if you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer. <laughs> Just a mean way of telling. You can tell he wasn't. He was less loving than Martin Luther. Um, and and he so 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 th this is interesting. So the 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 deal was was that if they could answer the riddle, he would go get he would give them thirty garments of clothes, and if he did it. Uh, and if they didn't, couldn't answer the riddle, then they would have to give it to him. So, because they couldn't answer a riddle, um, Samson gets him, like, it's not like it was a really godly thing for Samson to do, but yet God's spirit comes on Samson to kill these 30 Philistines. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, what, why is the spirit, what, what's Samson, why is the spirit of the Lord coming on him to do stuff like that, like just like that's just going to feed his ego. Um, he's, and, and that's not that's not helpful. That doesn't seem like a, something that you pray for the Holy Spirit. Like that's not what we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us for. <laughs> um, and but it, it, he doesn't pray; it just comes on him, so he can so he can do that. Uh, uh, Fifteen fourteen. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became his flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. So he's so so the, he the spirit of Lord the Lord comes on him, and it gives him the the strength to break out of these bonds, so that he can do what? Go kill men. Yeah, find a jawbone of a donkey and kill a thousand men with it. The spirit of the Lord comes with, comes upon him, so he can so he can kill a bunch of. Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Um, and, and so, like, you know, that, that just seems like a weird thing to, you know, that's not, that's not even what the charismatics mean when they're talking about getting the power of the Spirit. <laughs> that, that, that's, that just doesn't sound right. But you look at 14.4, uh, turn back to 14.4, and you can see kind of... His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he, God, that's the he there, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So, so God is accomplishing God's will against the Philistines through Samson with, with, by putting his spirit on Samson to do these powerful things. It's not because of anything great about Samson. It's not because he's... 
this, 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 this beacon of light and virtue. Uh, he's, he's this awful man, but God is using him anyway to, to do these things because of his plan, which was to take out the Philistines. So, so God's spirit coming on them, on these people, doesn't mean, this is important, doesn't mean that he's endorsing these people as all their actions. It's not the same because we as Christians, we receive the spirit of God at, at conversion, right? With the Holy Spirit dwells in us at, at conversion and he doesn't leave us. He doesn't rush on us and then leave us once we're done doing it, he's, he's always there. Uh, but when we see, look at uh, 1620. 1620. And she said, Delilah said, this is that last time, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So, so he, he comes on Samson to accomplish his purposes. I leave Samson to also to accomplish his purposes. That's not how the Spirit of God works in us now. So it doesn't mean when we see the Spirit of God coming on, he's endorsing these, these men, these people, but it does show that he's using them to accomplish his purposes. God was looking for an opportunity against the Philistines, and he has a purpose, and he uses Samson. <clears throat> And um, it comes at specific reasons. The Spirit comes on people for specific reasons for a time. And we see this in other places in the Old Testament, too. Like when, we, when, we, when, when I was doing Exodus, and we talked about the, the men who, who were empowered by the, by the Spirit specially for building the tabernacle. Uh, and we see that in other places in the Old Testament. All right, so uh, that was number four. That was main point number four. Main point number five is the kingship, which is odd because there is no king in all of Judges. Uh, well, there is, but they, he's not recognized that way. Um, the kingship. All right, so in chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, we see, we see this first thing kind of like this is where it first starts to get teased a little bit. The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. But then, what happens? Yeah, the, the idol worship, and who does rule over them, try to rule over them? His, his, his son, Gideon's son. So he does try. I, I, my son will not rule over you. No, he, he will try to. Um, and, and you see that that doesn't work out, and it's corrupt and doesn't work. But it's, it's starting to kind of like place the, uh, put the thought in your mind about, about kingship. And so, so you get through all the, the other cycles of the judges, and then you get to this phrase in 17.6, when you're reading, start to read about those two really terrible stories. In those, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 17.6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we see it again in 18.1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. 
And in those days, this is verse of 18.1, And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell, to dwell in, for until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So that's not the same necessarily as saying everyone did what was right in his own eyes, but it does show that that's what they're doing. Uh, it, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. And then here's an example of people doing what was right in their own eyes. Um, what, what verse is that? 18.1. Okay. And 19.1. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, just reminding you, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. So again, no king in Israel, and then you see an example of someone doing what's right in his own eyes, and not at all what mm -hmm. Levites were intended to do. Um, and then the very last verse of the book, or uh, yeah, the very last verse of the book, 21-25, that's how it ends. It, it tells these awful, awful stories. And then in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So you, so you see that is that and when you go back to what we talked about as the as the, the purpose to demonstrate the need for a monarchy in Israel you can see that now because what's going on isn't working it's, it's not working they're just falling there's there's a need what this book is showing is there's a need for for godly leadership that has to step up and bring these people back to God, back to the covenant. There's a definite need for that, and it's, it's, not, it's not here. And there's, we don't see any sign of that in Judges. Uh, we don't see any sign of that. So, uh, so th those are what I have as the five major themes. There's also, uh, you could do a study on like the, the angel of God, the messenger. You can see places where the messenger of the Lord uh, speaks up and, and tells Israel what to do. Um, another thing that I think we kind of covered about it was just the brutality uh, of uh, the society there. Just how, because it is, it is super important that you see in Judges, far from being the holy nation that Israel has been called to be, they're, they're just another, they're just as bad or worse than the Canaanites. It's so important that you, that you understand that. All right. Any questions on any of that that we've talked about so far? You say you're glad that the Spirit of the Lord doesn't come on us like that? That's, yeah. that's pretty cool to me. <laughs> I mean, it comes on us and then leaves. Okay. So, so, yeah, I don't want the Spirit of God coming on me to, you know, beat up a whole room full of ruffians and then leave me there with them after. And I'm done. <laughs> it's gone now. No, it's that. It, it does, like, the stuff that, like, that is, like, and, and that's why, like, when you're a kid, the story of Samson is like, yeah, he's like a, like a superhero, like, like a Bible superhero. And I don't even remember going into a fake Christian bookstore at, <laughs> in Greeley and seeing, like, they have the, the Bible action figures, and there's Samson, and he's a, he's, that's, he's a no you, you only, if you give your kid Samson, you don't want him reading the actual Bible. <laughs> no, don't, yeah, don't actually imitate. That's fine. Have them go play with GI Joes and fight with them. Uh, yeah. So, so Samson's not. Uh, uh, there, I, I, before I completely diss him, he is in Hebrews 11 for for that last his last act of 
of uh, where he calls to God for one last time. But even then, even though he's in Hebrews 11, so you know it's, it's faith, but even then you see him asking for vengeance, uh, which isn't a very biblical, but he still had the faith that God could do it. Um, and, and, uh, but he's, he wants his, he wants vengeance on them. Um, so, yeah, so any, anything else, any other questions or insights before we talk about yeah, the interpretation? Uh, the answer may be real obvious, but I, honestly, honestly, I'm not sure. Is this the third person of the Trinity? The spirit? The spirit. Yeah, yeah it's, it's what we kind of recognize as the, the third person, the spirit of the Lord. And then a lot of people, and then there's a lot of like, is the is the messenger of the Lord also the second person of the Trinity? There's there's a good case for that to a pre uh, a pre incarnate uh, Jesus, like one of those places, like in uh, like we see in uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. Uh, we see the messenger, just like the commander of the Lord in Joshua. So we see that a few times. We can see again Trinitarian aspects. Uh, of God in in the Old Testament. Anyone else? Okay. Um, so there's a few interpretive challenges uh, that I wanted to highlight, um, and then we'll get done pretty early because uh, the last time I did not allow enough time for questions, and this time you guys don't have them. So <laughs> um, uh, so. Uh, interpretive challenges. The first one that, that comes up, that actually someone brought this, in, this actually comes up in college. I had a, a Bible-hating humanities teacher um, who brought this example up, and I didn't know it, and now you will. Um, there, there are supposed to be about 330 years between Joshua, the time of Joshua, and the time of King Saul, right? But if you add up all of the, the times of the judges, Together, it comes out to 490. And so this humanities teacher said, therefore, the Bible isn't the word of God. It can't do simple math. Um, before I even say that, before I even tell you how to figure that out, who's, can anyone just, just I can, it's not actually that hard to just think about it, but does, does anyone, I don't know, I put the pressure on you. <laughs> uh, does anyone know how you would answer that or why that could easily they could be overlapping. They could be yeah. different times. The same guy, two at the same time. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, there's there's no reason for a second to think that they're not overlapping. In fact, there's every reason to think that they do. We see them like the judges are raised up against different peoples on different in different parts of Israel. So he's, these are regional judges being re raised up in different places. So there's no reason at all to think that these these times don't overlap. In fact, it makes more sense. Uh, to think that they do. So, the Bible's not wrong. Tell that to your humanities teacher. Um, psychology teacher. Uh, and if you take psychology, you, you deserve to have a <laughs> um, I shouldn't say that. My wife took a lot of psychology. Um, all right, so the second issue, second interpretive issue, um, which maybe as we've gone through this now, uh, is, is the issue of Jephthah's rash vow. Um, so there's a couple of, uh, there's, there's a couple of ways that this, is, that this, this passage is looked at um, to try and 
you know, essentially, there's a, there, there is one school of thought that, that thinks that, that Jephthah, when he was just dedicating her to the Lord, as a, uh, that, that's why she goes and she mourns her virginity, uh, that she's never going to have a man. Well, he's dedicating her to the Lord, so she's never going to have a husband. Um, so there, you know, that could be. Um, but the, the wording seems, it seems pretty clear, and there's no reason not to think that he actually sacrificed her as, as, a, as a burnt offering. I mean, that's what it says, burnt offering to, to God. Um, and it's not, and God doesn't give, God doesn't give approval of that. God never asked for that. God never said, there's no, you know, like it says in all those other places, and a pleasing aroma went up to the Lord. That doesn't, that, that doesn't happen here, because this is not what God wanted. That's not, he doesn't want that type of thing. But you see in the story that the people of Israel are so corrupt. And, and you get that hint that it, that's probably what it is, because in, in Psalm 106, which we read, remember it talks about how the people of Israel were, during this time, offering their sons and daughters as sacrifices, offering by killing them uh, for these pagan gods. Uh, so, so you can see there's, I mean, just because Jephthah does that, that just adds to how sick and, and disgusting and messed up the people of Israel have become. Um, that, I mean, you're supposed to see that throughout the book. Uh, so... So, so there's that, and because I remember the first time I read that, after I actually became a Christian, and after my senior year of high school, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, why on earth is God doing this? Why is God God allowing this?" Um, and I was kind of confused about whether or not God wanted. Like, why didn't He just step in and say, "No, Jephthah, don't stop it. Don't do that." But it's the same reason that He doesn't stop any of the other stuff. It, it points to and it shows the corruption of Israel, the corruption of people, how utterly and totally depraved they become. We become. Any questions on, on that part? Alright, um, so, so either way, I don't, I don't think that's an, an issue for us to deal with. Um, uh, the last one is uh, interpretive challenges. A, a lot of people question, why do we even have this book? It's gross. Um, it's, like, it's, it's violent, ridiculously violent. Like if, if, they, um, if they made a uh, just perfect, accurate movie of the book of Judges, you would be a horrible parent if you took your kid to see it. Uh, it I, it, it's like the the, the sexual immorality, the violence. It, it's like why why is it why do we need to see all that? Um, and and again, the point is back back to the purpose. What we talked about is to show this desperate need for a king, this desperate need for for leadership to bring them back into the covenant. Uh, the book goes to great lengths. To show that, again, not only have they fit, have they not been able to become holy on their own, they've ran from that. They, they're not even close to it. They're just like everyone else. Every other nation that hasn't been called by God to be his holy chosen people, they're just like 
them. Um, and, and, and so you need, to, you need to have this dark picture of what, how depraved humanity, even the Israelites are, for, for the light that comes out of it to be that much brighter. Because uh, it's in, and uh, we'll take Brett Scott Ruth, right? Brett's doing Ruth, right? I think yeah. he is. Um, when, when Brett brings up Ruth, because Ruth takes place in this time, in the time of the judges. Um, and, and so it, you see, it's in this mess, in this absolute filthy mess of what's going on in, the, in, in humanity, just the sin, sickness that's everywhere, um, that God is working to, to, to fulfill the promise that he gave back in Genesis 3. Working, he's, he's get, he promised the seed, the seed that will one day crush the head of the serpent. Um, and, and so we see uh, during this time, there's a man named Boaz running around somewhere. And there's this girl, Ruth. And, and it's through them that David comes. And then eventually through David, we get Christ, the Messiah. We get these first just these hints, these glimpses. Uh, we, we need to see what we're being saved from. The sin that we're being saved on. The, the, the coming Messiah who will finally free God's people from what the book of Judges has shown to be their actual greatest foe. Not all these Canaanites running around everywhere, but their sin. Their sin-sick hearts that run from God and run after idols. If we don't have judges, we, we don't, then, then the light isn't as bright because of the, we need that darkness in the background to see the bright light uh, coming through uh, the seed, coming through Christ, coming through the Messiah. So, anything else? There's like 15 minutes left. I have a question. Yes. Which I think could be considered an interpretive challenge. It's the fact that a woman was a judge. And I know she had Barack, who was kind of her military commander. But she judged. I mean, she had people coming to her for judgment. And she was his boss. I mean, she sent him out. She told him what to do. And yeah, and, and that's, I mean, this is, which isn't, again, it's, I mean, it could be for some people. Uh, but yeah, she did. She definitely has a, a, some sort of leadership role. Back judges got some 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 tough women in it. We got yeah. Deborah, JL. yeah, JL, okay. yeah. to drive a tent spike through someone's head. I, that's that's impressive. Then the, the lady with good aim from the tower on top of a bimlek, tossing the millstone on top of his head. Um, but I mean, this is. If the challenge is, um, again, a, a, a couple of things. The creation purpose is, yeah, there, there's roles, and, it, and, and, and uh, the man definitely has a leadership role. But again, remember this time. Judges. He, not, to, not to make Deborah sound like a horrible, like, weak person, but, but even if men are, are the typical, supposed-to-be military leaders, he still used 
a wimp-like Gideon. So God is all about, in the book of Judges, using people, even, even ones that aren't, that aren't necessarily the types you think, to accomplish his purposes. This doesn't affect the New Testament mandate on, on, on what uh, leadership in the church looks like um, or, or anything like that. So it's, to see God use a woman, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a big deal. That's, that's good. He does it a lot. <laughs> um, Man, also, I don't think it's that much of a challenge. There's also, yes. There's also a sense in which, you know, she even says in chapter four, plus uh, Barak said to her, if you will, uh, chapter four, verse eight, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And she's almost pointing out, like, this is a rebuke to you, mm. you know, that, oh, yeah. that I am stepping in, you should man up <laughs> and, and take care of this. Mm. I will go with you, and I will do this. So she's, she's showing strength, she's showing courage, and really, she's having to be there to be his strength and his courage, mm -hmm. yeah. which is really a rebuke to the, to the male leadership. Yeah. And so I, there's a there's that judgment aspect too um, that God is showing, and, and a similar thing gets said. That's what happens with Abimelech when right. he like runs around like someone else kill me. I can't. I can't be known that a woman killed me. Yeah. yeah. So there, uh, so there's yeah. So you see that like there is a thing that. It's it's a shame. It's a real shame to them, in their, especially in their society. It was a real shame that uh, that, that that would take place. Yeah. But that's not to take anything away from Deborah. But yeah, she was. Uh, she's great. Yeah. Anything else? I I uh, I just would thank you for all you're doing. It's really awesome. Um, the the uh, you asked the question, the interpretive issue about the why the book of Judges. And I think um, for Israel, having this in their canon, um, this is a reminder that they are no better than any other people around them. And it really should promote their humility and, and be a remarkable reminder in their history that God has just been very, very gracious to them. And I think that, that, that we should transport that into the New Testament as well. You see those reminders um, for the church that we need to remember that we're no better than anybody else around us. We, we should never be haughty, um, never become so, you know, therefore whoever thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Mm -hmm. It should always be right there in the forefront of our mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it weren't for God intervening, just think how <coughs> far they would have fallen. That's just the case with all of us. Mm -hmm. What but for the grace of God that intervened in our life, we'd be, there's no reason to think we wouldn't be any worse off than the worst sinners that we see around us. Yes, Doug. I, I think one of the other things that shows us is really how much, obviously, God has written this. Because no nation would write their history this way. <laughs> if this was their history, they would bury this. Yeah. So God, God says this is the way it is, and so I want it all to be there. And yeah, so they that's put really it in history. Yeah. Very that's true. Very, very true. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. 
just piggybacking on, on what Travis said, it just reminds me of, of what Joshua told the people just before, you know, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a jealous God back in the, he was Joshua, the last part of it. Not out of our own strength. You know, you're, you just, you're, you're making all these promises, but you just wait. <laughs> It's true because that, and I meant to say that more at the beginning. That's where we end in Joshua. They're like, "Yeah, we're gonna do it. We are gonna follow God with all our heart." And then you get judges, <laughs> and you see just how, how able they are to keep their own promises. Yeah. Of course, then they get a king, and look how well that worked out. For them. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's another. Yeah. I think that's another aspect of this that you know Israel's history demonstrates. Um, human prophets, priests, and kings don't mm -hmm. don't, do it. don't say that. Really, does point all mm -hmm. point to Christ fulfilling mm -hmm. prophet, priest, and king? Yeah. They get a king, and kind of works for a little bit there, but then yeah, the point is just just the same to show that's not the king you needed. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Yeah. This is a small detail question, but in the very first chapter. Catches some guys and then he cuts off their thumbs and their toes. <laughs> and I just am wondering if there's some symbolism or reason that we're cutting off those specific appendages. Yeah, there so is. They can't fight. They can't hold a sword. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sign of, of shame, um, and it also says I think that the king they did that to was going around doing that to other people and. Uh, uh, it's some sign of shame, but it actually stands for something. I can't remember what it is. You remember what it is? Where, where are we? What the very, it's uh, in chapter 1, verse 7. No, that's where you, well, well chapter verse 4 or 5 or something. When they set apart the priest, they do the ear and the thumb and the toe. Yeah, that's to symbolize, when, for the priest, that's to symbolize, like, Hearing the whole play. person yeah. rather than just bathing them in blood sort so of thing not... you get all the extremities yeah i think for the priesthood it's a, it's symbolic of their the whole commitment yeah. their, their ears their hands right. their feet everything this right here is more of a practical matter you can't wield fight. a sword and yeah. you can't run so there's you're, you're no longer a threat yeah. you're no longer able to leave an army be, it would be really <laughs> funny to watch you fight someone with a sword <laughs> and you'd have to kind of hold it like this <laughs> or or draw a bow or draw a bow yeah. Or swing a stone, really. Yeah, thumbs are important. God knew what he was doing. You can't tie your sandals. You can't tie your sandals. It doesn't matter, they won't stay on without your toes. Just keep sliding out. I'm bad now. Alright, now that we really, I feel like we really got some good, deep theological thought there at the end. Anyone else? No, I just have pictures of people. Yeah. All right. Let's pray, um, and then, uh, uh, yeah, then we can talk for like 10 minutes or something. God, thank you so much uh, for this time. Um, Lord, we do thank you uh, for stuff like this. I, uh, just echoing what Doug said, just evidence that, that this is clearly your word, because... Um, <laughs> Were it not for the fact that Israel believed that this was your word, there's no way they would have kept this around because it's a shame and it's an embarrassment. But it's, it's, 
a teaching to us uh, that, that this is just where we would fall, how far we would run from you, how far we would be from you, um, running, as the song says, running our hell-bound race, indifferent, indifferent to what's going on, indifferent to, to who you are. Uh, but you've graciously provided us your word uh, that shows us both um, who we really are, despite what we would like to think in our sinful natures, and even more importantly, who you really are. Um, and in spite of who we are and how holy you are, that you would have pity on us and save us, um, and that we could be a part of your plan for your glory. Uh, thank you, God, so much for all you do. Thank you for, again, uh, the pictures that we see in here that's always good to be reminded of in our time we live in, of uh, just your sovereign rule, uh, that all of the stuff that doesn't seem like it makes sense to us, you have sovereignly ordained, and it's all working out for your good purpose and pleasure, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.